like son. If you'll turn to John the 17th chapter in your Bible, we'll take some scriptures from there and, and do some learning about uh, the relationship Jesus had with his father, how it can help us in our relationship with God as our father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to come to the house of God. Open your word. Allow your Holy Spirit to speak through us. And when we say it, we pray the Holy Spirit will apply it to hearts and minds to where it will be beneficial to lives and change us into the pattern you want us to walk in the well you have for each of us. So guide us, we pray, each one, that all things that we say and do will be ordered by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In John, the 17th chapter, I just want to read the first uh, five verses. It says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou hast gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. In the context that Jesus is speaking here, he's probably in the upper room still on his final Passover, on the final day of his life. Uh, in that um, room upstairs, it's either there because uh, we know he left that room and went across the Brook Kidron through the valley, up into a garden called uh, the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, which is just to the east of the city of Jerusalem. And he had to go there because of the crowd to find a place to lay his head and try to get some rest. He had done that frequently in his trips to Jerusalem uh, for the Passover season. This Passover meal was just over in the upper room. If you want to even look at it, you could go back and find chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all the words of Christ. These are not teachings. They are instructions to his disciples as he knows this is his last night on earth. Amen? Now, if you knew... Your, this was your last day on earth, would there not be some things you would want to make clear to people before you left? Amen? Whatever it might be. You might want to make sure your children know. You might be want to make sure your parents or whoever else you're going to leave behind would know. You would want them to understand what your purpose on life was while you're here. So he's in the upper room. He just has instituted feet washing in chapter 13. And also in chapter 13, he has just introduced and uh, instituted the doctrine, if you would, of the Lord's Supper. You know, where you take the bread and the, and the fruit of the vine, he blessed it and said, take, eat, remember, do this in remembrance of me. He has just done that. 
Judas Iscariot has just left that upper room with his permission to go betray him. That's something, isn't it? He knew what he was up to, and yet he never uncovered him for the motive that he was trying to operate under. Amen. And before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he records all this that we're going to talk about tonight, not all four chapters, but all four chapters we've noted. Jesus talks to the disciples about it. Actually, chapter 17 is a prayer. It's Jesus's prayer. When people talk about the Lord's prayer, they usually are talking about what we would call the model prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know how that? That's not the Lord's prayer. That's a model prayer because his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And that's the prayer he gave as a model to follow when you pray. Okay? But his prayer to his heavenly Father is recorded in chapter 17 of the Gospel of John. This whole chapter, other than the first line where it says that he was praying, all of it's in red letters if you have a red letter edition Bible. He's, Jesus is doing the talking, and he's talking directly to his Father in prayer. Now, of these four chapters, uh, which only and at most probably in his life, I can, I can, it stretches my imagination to take to think that chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, it would stretch my mind to think that's three hours of his life. And yet there is so much in it that the Holy Spirit has given us to guide us and help us as the people of God we need to be. In those few, if you want to call hours maybe, or even less than that, maybe less than an hour, because you can read it probably in 10 minutes from uh, chapter 14 through 17 but Jesus uses the word father in those four chapters 46 times who do you think was on his mind amen he knew what was ahead of him and in chapter 17 alone in his prayer he uses the, or the word father seven times Amen? Now, as I read this to you, I probably have used the word Father a few times just in the five verses that we talked about here. But I want you to realize, if you read the whole thing, and of course, if I was to preach on the whole chapter of John, we'd be here till next Sunday. So there's so much in it for what God is trying to accomplish through his son in his final moments of life on earth. Here we go. Jesus had a very unique relationship with his Father and with the Holy Spirit because he was part of the Trinity. Jesus was also very unique because he had an earthly body. God the Father didn't have it. The Holy Spirit doesn't have an earthly body. If God wants to do something in an earthly body, he has to borrow us and say, would you mind please doing this? We, are the, we sing the song. We're the hands and feet of God, right? We're the voice of God. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Well, those are all expressions saying that, God, we're giving you permission to use us to minister in whatever area you want ministered in this world. Isn't that cool? 
You get to be God, in, if you would, as a part of the situation that God wants to accomplish at that particular point. I like to think about Jesus, and I think of him as being 100% human when he walked this earth and 100% God. A lot of people think he was 50-50. No, I think he's 100-100. And then the closest thing you and I will ever come to knowing what that's like is either in marriage or being parents ourselves. You can't be a 50-50 parent and be a good one. You can't be a spouse and uh, a husband or a wife. You can't do that on a 50-50 basis. It won't work. It takes 100% all the way through. Amen? In marriage, it's a little bit different because it's only good. Till death do we part. How about that? There is an end in sight. I had to put that in there. Oh, well. But being a parent, the Bible doesn't give us that option. There is no escape. Once you're a parent, and you are the parent that God wants you to be, you're a parent forever. Amen? Isn't that great? Amen. So it's not just for that child's sake, but what if you have um, multiple children? It carries on and on. Amen? as well as uh, not only the fathers but the mothers, they have limited uh, ability in the development and responsibility for the actions and the development of that child. It's like the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, the same is true of children. As parents, we do our best to raise our children. We want them to have it better than we had it. I've never heard anybody say, well, I hope my kid's the worst one in his class. You know, I can remember. I just got to tell you. I went, my, me and my, oh, I got two brothers. One's two years older and one's four years older. And all three of us had sons and a daughter, well, I had children, born in the same year. They were from one end to the other. The three of them were born six months apart. Amen? And they went in first grade. They all went to the same school because we all lived in the same town. So when we went to the first parent-teacher conference, both of my brothers were there and I was there and our wives were there and our children were there and we went through the whole thing. We were all proud as punch of our kids and, and on it goes. But uh, at the end of it, the teacher stopped me after class and asked me, says, does your son talk in his sleep? And I thought, wow, there must be something she wants to, you know, and I got to think it. I, I don't think I've ever heard him talk in his sleep. I said, uh, not that I know of. I've never heard him talk in his sleep. And she said, well, he never shuts up in my class. <laughs> I thought she was going to brag on him for some reason, but, oh, uh, well. As parents, we're looking for ways to brag on our children, and sometimes they, they shoot us down before we can get there. But also, um, we have to also be seen by our children and to uh, exceed, if you would, in the parental teaching. Because if you would, you need to become better parents than the parents that raised you, if you can say it that way. I always want my kids to be better. I want to be an example to my children so that they become the adult they've been trained to be. Amen? But we also have seen children 
that have been influenced by wrong situations and people and circumstances that, if you want to say it, caused them to make bad choices. But it's their choice. Amen. We can't be there to make their choices until they're 75 years old. Amen. Sooner or later, they got to walk in their own feet and be their own person, if you would. But all of us can assume uh, about this scenario that the ultimate responsibility is up to the parents for only so long. And then sooner or later, that individual must stand alone with his personal choices he made. From a preacher's standpoint, I've seen a lot of preacher's kids. Hmm, and I can see your wheels turning right now. Amen. I've seen some of the preacher's kids that grew up to be preachers. Yep. And I've known some preacher's kids that grew up to be the scoundrels of the city. It doesn't really matter what title that father or the mother have. Uh, it just comes down to the individual choices that they make. Amen. I even know people or children's preacher's children that don't even go to church anymore. Amen. They don't want anything to do with church for whatever reason. I don't know. That's just the way it comes out. I do want you to know that being a parent does not come with an owner's manual. Not like your car or your lawnmower. Uh, how to take care of it, how to make it uh, last as long as it's supposed to. As close as we can come to an owner's manual in our children is the Bible. The Word of God will teach us more about how to raise our children than anything else that I know of in the world. You can't go by other people's experience because your child's different than their child. They're all unique. Amen? Only God knows why that takes place. So when we do try our best as parents, the best advice I can point to um, is uh, point them to God. Then... Be a good example in the way you live, in the actions of your life, by the habits of your life, for example, church attendance, Bible study and prayer. Do your kids see you participate in that? They may want to take part in it as well. And I tell you, the best way to, to do the best you can for your children, fathers, is how you treat your mother. Did you know that? The best advice I can give a father in raising their children is to treat their mother right. They will see that and understand that's what we're supposed to do. And then third, we need to be examples by listening to them, understanding them, offering the, the advice that will uh, get them through the situations or the storms of life that come their way. See, we may stand up and say, oh, we don't want you to this, that, or the other, and preach on it, and that's probably not a problem they even have to begin with. But they have problems somewhere else, and if we don't listen to them, we'll never know that problem exists until it's beyond our help and beyond uh, reaching the child at that particular time to make the right choices in that situation. So when we think about Jesus and his parents' input, what do we know from Scripture about Jesus' mom and dad? Well, many times we see Mary in the picture, and we even see Joseph. Of course, he's the stepdad, not really the parent. 
uh, in the picture, but just at the very beginning. From 12 years old in Jesus' life, we don't hear the word Joseph anymore as far as his stepdad is concerned. Now, Mary was there. Actually, Mary was there when he was uh, nailed to the cross. She followed him throughout. Uh, and, but I can tell you another thing. God was there every step of the way. His heavenly Father was always involved in all the things he did from the end of his life and actually beyond the end. For me, my parents are no longer around, but God is, and I hope my life's choices are based in some part as to my parents' input. That would be what uh, they'd want me to be to make them smile when they think about their little boy. And I can remember at times, uh, my dad, even as a, I'm a grown-up, have my own job, I'm out, and he would tell me from time to time, you've done well. Amen. I remember one time, I used to be uh, uh, an automobile mechanic on a, in an Oldsmobile garage, and my dad bought an Oldsmobile. And the year model that they bought, they had bad problems with the fuel pumps in them. Isn't that something? And the fuel pump is inside the tank. So to get to the fuel pump and fix it, you have to jack the car completely up. Take the fuel tank completely out. Take the pump out of the tank, fix it, put it back in, put it back up, E-I-E-I-O. Well, my dad called me and said, my Oldsmobile won't start. Well, I knew that from working on Oldsmobiles, they had a real problem, and they even warranted those problems for the fuel tank. I said, well, Dad, they got a problem with those fuel pumps. If you get it down here, um, I can work on it and even get it under warranty for you. It won't cost you nothing. So he got a neighbor of his. They got a truck and a trailer. They loaded the car on there, drug it all the way down from Jamestown to Woodlawn, and I put it up on the lift, took the gas tank out. It was out of gas. But because the, he'd already got the, the fuel pump under warranty, I put the fuel pump in it and told him to take the gas tank and go buy some gas, and I'll come back and put it back in. And that fixed his car, and he drove it home. Isn't that something? All that work. Oh, well, sometimes we avoid the obvious. All right, but he was telling me, I'm so proud of you be able to fix my car. Well, it would have been easier if you had put gas in it, but that's okay. Amen. There are other times that I noticed uh, my dad would call me for advice about things because my experience in other areas that he just didn't have. Well, when we look at John 17, Jesus is now talking to his father as he's standing and walking or going or doing whatever, and he's talking whatever body gestures he's putting out as he's saying this prayer, the disciples are taking note. They see what Jesus is going through through this prayer. Number one, we never see in John 17 the disciples interrupting anything he has to say. That's unusual. Most of the disciples, when he taught a parable, they said, what in the world's that all about? Right? Number two, none of his disciples questioned him about what he was talking about. Number three, none of his uh, disciples offered him any of their advice or their opinion. But every one of them, as I can read this and understand and actually put myself in their position, 
were probably very attentive to every word he spoke to his heavenly father. Amen? Have you ever said a public prayer and then heard someone later that was present to hear your prayer make a comment that they agreed with what you said in that prayer? Well, being that I'm the pastor and I do publicly pray a lot, I've had people come to me later and say, I appreciated that thought you had in your prayer. I think that was good. Or I've heard even Sunday school teachers say things about my prayer that I included in my prayer, and that might be going along, if you would, with their Sunday school lesson. So sometimes when we pray publicly, there are others that hear and learn from that experience, just like the disciples probably are learning here. Amen? So I have had that experience many times, but if, I, if you haven't had it, you will if you get the opportunity to pray enough. Well, here we have Jesus praying publicly, but if no one else was listening, even though they were, he would have said the exact same words with the same attitude of heart. You see, when I pray publicly, it's not a whole lot different than what me and God talk about when I'm in my study or when I'm tired and I lay down and I speak to God. And we just talk, if you would, man to man, so to speak, sometimes. And I pray for the church or I pray for someone that I know needs prayer. And it's no different than if I were in the pulpit when I say those prayers. That's why when I pray, I always close my eyes. You know why? If somebody don't want to hear what I got to say, I don't want to look at the expression on their face while I'm praying. They're going, I don't want to see it because I'm not talking to them anyway. Amen. So if you don't like what I say when I pray publicly, you can get some earplugs, or you can make funny faces or whatever. I'm not going to see it, and I'm not talking to you anyway. I'm talking to God. And that's the way I believe Jesus was talking. And so that's a good habit to get into when you pray. Close your eyes. That way no one will disturb you and get you distracted from what you were talking to God about. Amen. So uh, I even think that would be good advice for us, both in... Uh, Voicing the prayers that we hear and the voices that we want to say, yeah, close your eyes when you're hearing prayer. Amen? Then you'll be able to concentrate on what's being said. Now in verse 1, Jesus starts out. He says, Father, the hour has come. You know what that means? This is it. The hour has come. Amen. And if I asked you to preach four weeks from now, Three and a half weeks from now, you'd probably forget about it. And then in the last 15 minutes, you say, oh, I got to preach. I better get ready. The hour has come. Right? Well, Jesus wasn't that way. He got prepared whenever God sent him to this world. As a listener to that prayer, the, the disciples probably now are on full alert. Amen. How many of you jumped to, out of your chairs this week? when your alarm on your iPhone went off saying, there's a tornado headed your way. Get in the basement. Take cover. Amen. What would you say? <laughs> they told me that all the time. We go, I'll pay no attention. Yeah. Well, when your house gets ripped off 
foundation and sent over to the neighbor's yard, next time you may want to take it advice from that. Amen. Now, it didn't happen this time, but the conditions were right, so we need to be ready for it. And when Jesus says the hour has come, that's about the same as an alert on your iPhone going off telling you, get ready. Amen? Many times, Jesus was being a prophet. And there are even religions that don't accept Jesus as the deity of God or part of the Trinity, but they'll tell you in a heartbeat, Jesus was a prophet. He was a great teacher. Amen. They understand that, even though they don't accept him as Savior in their cult or religion. But now, here we have Jesus uh, laying it out as a prophet, and as his followers that have followed him for years heard him prophesy about every other thing that was come, and it always came to pass. Did you know the Bible says the difference between a true prophet and a false prophet is whether his prophecies come true or not? Well, Jesus had never given them a prophecy that had not come true. So when he says the hour is come, you best believe the hour is at hand. Amen? So he was unfolding, if you would, and waiting to hear about this hour that was come. They wanted to make sure that their lives were in line with the things that Jesus was talking about this particular hour. Then Jesus says, glorify thy son. Well, they had already, from Matthew the 16th chapter on, when Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, they had already confessed that he wasn't Elias, he wasn't Jeremiah, he wasn't John the Baptist, he was the son of God. Amen? Peter spoke out and said it, and they were all there to hear it. And he said, blessed art thou, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you but my Father. And now it's time that they know the Father is going to be glorifying the Son. The disciples were already in total agreement what it meant for Jesus as he was, if you would, in the Father-Son relationship. They already had that down pat. But may not yet have understood the glory process that was going to take place. How was Jesus going to be glorified? They knew or they understood him to say he was going to Jerusalem for the last time to be killed. How does that glorify anything? They didn't get it. They didn't know what was going on. They only saw from an earthly standpoint, from a human standpoint, what Jesus was talking about in this situation. Amen. But then Jesus followed it up with saying that the Son may also glorify the Father. You know, like Father, like Son. Amen? All right. In the years that Jesus had been, they had been walking with Jesus, they glorified God as a top priority. That's what Jesus had been teaching them to do. Jesus never did a miracle and then waited for somebody to pat him on the back or praise him for it. He didn't want the glory for any miracle he did. The glory goes to God. Amen. No. He always turned to God in miracle situations. If I anoint someone and they come up, I'm sick, I'm hurt, I'm bad, I need, 
prayer? Will you anoint and pray for me? I do it often. Amen. I always carried my oil with me just in case. Because the scripture says if you're sick, call on the elders. Anoint them, pray for them. Amen. We do that. Now when I do that, I don't expect them to come back and thank me. Because if they got healed or they got delivered or they got the, whatever they wanted in that prayer delivered to them, that ain't because of me. I'm just the, the mouthpiece. I'm just the hands and feet of Jesus. I'm just the one that wants to glorify God in the miracle that happens. So uh, I'm thankful if you say, well, brother, dude, when you prayed for me, healing came. You know what I say? Praise the Lord. Amen. Notice in this particular verse where it says that when Jesus said that the Son may glorify thee, it ends with a colon. What's that mean? We've been telling you. Colon means there's something more to come. And add to that, well, what are we going to add to it? Verse number 2. As thou hast given him power over flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So here we go. Verse 2, as you're going to glorify God, first for your glory to go to God, it needs to be the glory for all the power he's given him over the flesh, is what Jesus was saying. All right? Did he have power over flesh? Of course he did. Amen. When he had 5,000 hungry people, what did he do? Send them to McDonald's? Go through the drive-thru? No. He prayed to Father, and he sent a miracle and fed all 5,000 of them. Amen? So uh, that's why, that's where miracles come from because God is the one that's in charge of the miracles and we need to glorify him for the power he gives us over the flesh. And second of all, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou, he's used the word thou, but that means the Father because that's who he was talking to, has given him. See, Jesus wanted to give the glory to God for your salvation or my salvation or his disciples' salvation or in anything that comes like that, we need to thank God for it. Believe it or not, your salvation would have never happened without God's input. Amen. Jesus understood that. He realized that salvation is about a relationship with God. Not only his relationship with God, but if you want salvation, it's your personal relationship with God that has to be according to what his dictates of his word and spirit tell us. Amen. That's why he follows up with the thought in verse number three. This eternal life that they, who's they? Anyone that receives eternal life might know. Do you know? Thee, the true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent do you know it's important for you to know that it takes all three of the Trinity for you to get saved? Yeah. What's it take? It takes conviction from the Holy Spirit. It takes the grace of God being offered to you. And it takes your faith in Jesus Christ to believe that he'll forgive you of your sins through his shed blood on Calvary. Until that all takes place, you're on the outside looking in. Now, it's not hard. And it's not even difficult, but it is necessary. Amen? Now that uh, that's where the glory of God comes in, how do we know that? Because Jesus said in verse 4, 
I have glorified thee on earth. How? In our relationship. In how I live for you, God. Amen. Those disciples wouldn't have followed if our relationship hadn't have been up to date every day for all the years that I've been on this earth. Amen. So if my relationship and as I walk with you and the miracles you did in me, they were right there all the time to see them. They were right there to understand that you were the one that deserved the glory. Let me say something right here. Jesus was there when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Did you know that? Because he's God. He was right there with him. One of those commandments was honor your father and your mother. Hmm. At this point, Jesus, in his final hour, was honoring God as his father. That's what it means to glorify God. You see, Jesus didn't need a special day to honor his dad. He did it every day of his life. Jesus went on to say in verse 4, I finished the work thou gavest me to do. It took him 33 years, but who's in a hurry? The main thing is it's complete. It's over. It's done. We moved on. I see the life of Jesus Christ just like our lives sometimes is just like being on a roller coaster. Amen. Now, I don't like them. They make me sick. My stomach goes up this high and back down, and if there's anything in it, it usually comes out. I just don't care for roller coasters. That's just me. If you like them, go for it. Amen. But I see that in Jesus' life as a roller coaster with many hills he climbed, many curves he negotiated, many valleys he traveled, but now the ride is coming to an end. I always look forward to that part when I got on there. The work that he was given to do now is finished. From here on out, the final touch is all that's needed. That final touch is Calvary. Dying on the cross would complete his journey in this world. And on the cross in John 19 and 30, the scripture tells us, Jesus' final words on earth in, in this life was, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. That's a nice way of saying he died. Amen? Now in our text, in verse 5, it says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thy own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I want to have the same glory we had before I came to earth. Now, did coming to earth diminish that glory? It probably had some impact in Jesus' life because he was a man now. Any of us know we're on a roller coaster ride. Not everything's going to go our way. Amen. Did he have arguments? Did he have disputers? Did he have people who didn't like him for no reason at all? Why'd they kill him? They thought they were doing God a favor. That's how out of touch they were with God. He finished the work, and in this life, 
That was his prayer. That's what his prayer was all about. Amen? And now, O Father, glorify me in the completion of the work that you gave me to do with the glory we had when we were together before I came to this world. It was clear at that point in Jesus' life and in his prayer that his total purpose in life was to do the will of God on earth. No matter the ups or the downs, that was going to be the end, and they would be reunited again in eternity forever. Matter of fact, he got the right-hand seat in glory, the Scripture tells us, when he ascended back to heaven. In anybody's mind, that's just a, if you would, a seat of authority. Amen? All of us. As a matter of fact, two of the disciples' mothers came to Jesus, or her, their mother, and came to Jesus and argued. You know, when we get to the kingdom, I want you to put one of my boys, one on the right hand and one on the left hand, when you get to the kingdom. And Jesus said, you don't even know what you're talking about, lady. That's not what's going to happen at all. Amen? But the right-hand seat in a kingdom was always a sign of authority. And that's what Jesus, if you would, took up when he went back to heaven. Not necessarily a seat because he wasn't looking for a lazy boy recliner. He was looking for the authority that he had earned by doing the will of God while he was on earth. Amen? So that's, what I, that's where I came up with the message title, Like Father, Like Son. Because God never left Jesus and Jesus never left God. He was faithful to the very end, till it was finished. His example will stand throughout the years to come so that whosoever will come to him may have the eternal life God is waiting for everyone to taste and see the glory of God in their personal experience, in their personal walk with God. Amen? Like father, like son. When we accept the salvation God offers us by grace through faith, we will one day say to God, the work you gave me to do, it's finished. Now, I don't know whether for me, I don't know if that's next week or next year or 35 or 50 years from now. I don't know. He may have me pastor for another 200 years, but whatever he says is fine. Reality tells us a little bit different, but until the work's finished, God is going to get glory for everything he does in my life. That's just the way I want it to be. Amen. That'll be a special Father's Day when we will be forever in the presence of God. But until then, we're here on earth. And we still have the commandment that he gave thousands of years earlier. Honor your parents. I believe God commands us to, to uh, his command was given so that we would one day understand the true meaning of father as God and mother as the church. Did you know that Galatians 4.26 says, Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. Did you know you were you been born in the spirit by the father and by the mother, by God and the church? Amen. That's how it works. Amen. We have to set aside a day in May as Mother's Day 
And now we set aside a day in June for Father's Day. But every day for God is the opportunity for you to say Happy Father's Day to your Heavenly Father. If you have the opportunity to say to your earthly father, Happy Father's Day, take time to show him your appreciation for all he's done in your life and all that you have as because of what he's done for you. But every day is Father's Day with God. Jesus was aware of the need of his father's input in his life. Amen. I used to think when I was younger, my dad was the smartest man on earth. And there are times I've even quoted things as a pastor to people that were things my dad told me that'll help you in your life. And I wanted to pass that on in reference, fact, uh, in reference to the fact that my father taught it to me and helped me. If it'll help me, it should help you. Because we're all facing the same problems, aren't we? Same trials, same things. Amen. Well, that's what we need to do is take time to do those things and accept our Heavenly Father to be faithful to us just like he was to Jesus right to the end. Our earthly Father from time to time may have disappointed us, but not your Heavenly Father. God will never disappoint you. Give your dad a break. He's earthly. Amen. There are even times as a dad myself, I look back and wish I could have done things different with my kids. Can't do that. Can't unring a bell. Amen. Once you've said things or did things, you got to live with it. That's why it's important to think before you act sometimes. Amen. But you need to love your father for everything he has done. After all, He's fighting for survival in this world the same as you are. I don't know when my dad gave me bad advice. I know he has a few times. But I don't know what stress or pressure he was under at that time or what even influenced him that way. Amen? Well, those are the things that we just have to, if you would, understand and take, if you would, with a grain of salt and learn from our Heavenly Father who will never lead us the wrong way. Amen? Your Heavenly Father wants the best for you, not only in this world, but in the world to come. Amen? So what we need to do, we need to be like Father, like Son. And even for you sisters, let's make Father's Day the best day ever. And both of our dads for ourselves and for them. Amen? Just because it's Father's Day... You sisters don't get to take the day off because all of you have fathers also. Amen. Even though I said like father, like son. In the scripture, even you sisters are considered sons of God. It's just a term that was used to take us all in. Amen. So what are we going to do? We're going to walk in the example Jesus gave us. We're going to finish the work God wants us to do. We're going to give the glory to God in the situation that he gives us to walk and what we should do. Jesus' prayer in John 17 goes on to point out many other requests he has. He goes on in this chapter to pray for the church. Huh. And the church hadn't even been born yet. It wouldn't be born until the day of Pentecost. Huh. He went on to pray for it. He went on to pray for the saints who were the saints 
those were the followers that were living what God had put in their lives and would eventually become part of the church. He goes on to pray for our sanctification in this particular chapter. He says, so I want to pray for them, that you sanctify them. What does he mean by sanctify? That term in the past few decades has been blowed out of the water. All it means is there are things in your life God doesn't want in there, and there's things in your life God does want in there. So what we need to do is get rid of the things God don't want in our life and accept and put in the things God does want in our life. How are we going to know what they are? He left us his word and his spirit, the two witnesses, to teach us how we need to walk with him on a daily basis. Then he even goes on in this chapter to pray for unity, that they all may be one as you and I, Father, are one. Amen. He had a lot of things he wanted to pray for, and he wanted the glory of all those things to be what God wanted them to be in the things that we were supposed to do. Amen? Now turn to verse 26, and Jesus finishes this prayer, and he says, I've declared unto them thy name, and I will declare it. And, I, and that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. You see what it is there? Did you know that God is love? Did you know that? First John tells us that. You can go to First John, the third chapter, and it says, God is love. And Jesus closed his prayer, declaring to his disciples that were listening to this prayer that Jesus knew God and love are inseparable. They're the same thing. So if you want to be right with God, the best way to bring us together is love. Amen? You read 1 John. Of course, it's the same writer that wrote that inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this prayer that Jesus was praying. So I declare unto them thy name and declare it. And with and that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them. The Father's love is what's going to draw you for your life not only in this life, but in the next life to come. Amen? Love is a key. Amen? Why? Because God is love. So the greatest love you'll ever know is the love that Christ has for you. And the love of God as your Heavenly Father that He wants you to spend eternity in His arms of love. Like Father, like Son. Let's be conforming to His image and find the light of, and be the light of the world that through his love we can share to others. We need to take a special time on Father's Day to thank God for the love he's given us and for being the father he was to Christ that set the stage for you and I to have a relationship with God ourselves. Amen? Without Christ... The connection would have never been made. He's our mediator. He's our redeemer. He's our propitiation. He's the go-between. In other words, none of us could make the connection without the work that God sent Jesus to do. Now that that work's complete, it falls on us to make the choice to follow the footsteps Jesus gave us. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it.